And this is our number 10. It's time for the fastest 15 minutes in the news. This is Dory's Fastest 15. Oh, it's a world of news and a tidy little 15-minute package just for you. Welcome to our Fastest 15. Oh, my golly. Golly gee. Look what I just pulled up on my computer, Nicole. Just saw what our program director just sent out. Oh, geez. (laughs) Well, well, once a month. (laughs) Once a month, we need to say thank you to you, our listeners, because uh, for the month of November, once again, Dory Monson Show, the highest rated local news talk show in the United States of America for uh, almost two full years now. We've had the highest-rated local show in the United States, and November was no exception. Thank you. Uh, just how cool is this? I'm talking to you, Nicole. Oh, it's very cool. It's definitely cool. Yeah, just yeah, stunning. It's absolutely stunning. Uh, so, I was a very sincere thank you from all of us to you listening because uh, this has been. Quite a ride, and we'll try to earn your listening every single day, and uh, we'll try to continue to do so with our fastest 15 coming up here. I was so busy looking at the the ratings, I haven't clicked on my fastest 15 yet. There's a story that uh, Aaron Granillo just had in his newscast, and this is very good news. A few months ago, you may recall, we talked to... um, Young woman, she had opened a spa business in the Madison Park neighborhood, and she came on our show, and she described what had happened. Uh, Amber is her name, and she told me about a man walking into her shop one day. I put the phone on speaker, set it on the desk. Then the guy just, like, moved really quickly around the... Oh, and I should tell you, she said she put her phone on speaker, she was talking to her dad at the time. So her dad on the other end is listening to her on speaker interact with this man who came into the shop. The desk, hung up the phone on my dad, grabbed my shoulder. He pulled a large knife out on me and told me to lock the doors and to not scream. And um, he threatened my life and um, gruesomely explained detail by detail, all of the um, horrific things he would do to me if I didn't mm. stay quiet and lock the door. It was, I, I mean, I, I kind of froze in the moment, which is sort of unlike me. I've always been kind of quick to react and always felt like I could kind of take care of myself and I have my own my own security measures in place, you know, okay. things kind of around the, the unit, but I couldn't reach any of those. I heard you tell TV that including a panic button. We have, yeah, we have multiple panic buttons. Exactly. Multiple panic buttons, some other safety features that I couldn't access anything. Okay. So she's living everybody's nightmare. Guy comes in, locks the door, hangs up the phone on her dad. And then as she described, he very brutally, callously tried to rape her was thinking through a plan of what I was going to do and kick it to my hand and um, defend myself. And in that moment, and I was literally like a split second away from implementing this strategy 
and my coworker opened the door and yelled at him and he jumped up and he was still holding, he grabbed the knife again. He pushed me out of the way, grabbed the knife and jumped up and like pointing it like a sword, just jumped up and lunged. And I thought he was going to lunge at my coworker. So I shouted, get out of the way. He's got a knife. And so he jumped back and he just ran right out the door. Um, and that was that. And then we called police, we called 911 and then they asked if there are any identifying thing that he left behind. And we noticed that he left his backpack behind his backpack had been in the laundry room right beside where I had been, um, moments before we opened it up and it was, um, there were, it was full of knives. Oh my gosh. Uh, various styles. It wasn't like a Dexter knife collection. It was like a dumpster knife collection. Yeah, just random. Which is just bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. So that's Amber telling me what happened. The police identified a suspect. He uh, was a guy that they had had in custody, but was on the loose, like so many of the criminals running around our streets. Well, I'm happy to tell you that Seattle police have now arrested that suspect, Jordan Alexander. They arrested him yesterday, and he is going to be charged with the attempted rape of Amber Myers. And it was uh, just, she she didn't want to talk about the most traumatic part of her story, but she really had to fight this guy off. According to the State Department of Corrections, this guy, Jordan Alexander, he had just escaped from a work release program just a few days earlier, but there's absolutely no reason he should have been on work release. He is one of the people, one of the many, who should be in prison. And yet, we still have this soft-on-crime approach that has been releasing the most violent offenders or putting them on work release. And this is a case where he went on the run, and one day later is when he attempted to rape Amber. And uh, thankfully, one of her co-workers uh, came into the room right as it was at its most traumatic. But this guy, let me tell you about the guy that they caught, Alexander, Jordan Alexander. He has been arrested at least 22 times. And they, even after 22 arrests, they thought it'd be a good idea to put him in a work release program where he would be trusted to come back home every night. But I hate to tell our politicians this. Somebody who's arrested 22 times isn't the most trustworthy of people. And so, once again, it's a case of where our soft-on-crime politicians, Dow Costing, Jay Inslee, uh, Bruce Harrell, let's decriminalize violence, where they turned a monster loose and they the guy inflicted a lifetime of terror now on Amber. But happy to report that Seattle police have now caught the guy. Let's see how soft the slap on the wrist is and let's see how quickly he's back out on the streets so that he can wreak more havoc in people's lives and in our community. Up next in the Fastest 15, uh, let's go to the presidential politics. Uh, President of France, Macron, he was at the White House yesterday. Joe Biden tried to read a toast to the French president. Didn't go well. France was our first ally, first country to fly the American flag after our revolution. And Frank hosted the first. Listen, Frank, 
So he's talking about France, but then he jumps to some dude named Frank who hosted something. Okay, let's play the whole thing again. France was our first ally, first country to fly the American flag after our revolution. And Frank hosted the first diplomatic post before, more than anything else, France has been our first friend. What? Frank hosted something, and then Frank or France held the first diplomatic post before, and then he just could not finish that thought. Listen, listen up, just join This isn't edited. Frank hosted the first diplomatic post before, and then he just, like, skips a line. or something. It's all written out for him. And Frank hosted the first diplomatic post before, more than anything else, France has been our first friend. Frank hosted the first diplomatic post before, well, France is our friend. It's not connecting. The, nothing is connected. Did you, Nicole? Did you see the video? And, and it is so visual. There wasn't much we could do except we can try to describe it. It was at some. I don't know if it was a Christmas tree lighting again yesterday, but uh, yes. Biden's up on stage with Jill and somebody else. Oh, uh, some celebrity, like LL Cool J or something, and. Uh, Biden's standing at the podium, they do the lighting, and then the celebrity and Jill start walking off the stage, and Joe's standing there holding the microphone, and he's looking around, he's horribly confused, and then he just keeps hold of the microphone, like he's trying to think of saying something, but there's nothing to say, because he was supposed to leave the stage with them, and he just stands there with the microphone and looks around, and then he turns and he kind of shuffles off. It's. It happens every time. I'm not sure why they haven't come up with a, you know, solid solution for this. Well, I don't know why. I mean, except for Kamala Harris, would be the greatest disaster in human history. But he's not fit to serve. That's so clear. And they have not yet invoked the 25th Amendment. I think primarily because maybe maybe Biden, his handlers were genius when they said, "Let's make sure we pick a vice president." who is less capable than a president who has dementia. And I think that's what we have now in positions one and two. So the 25th Amendment scares everybody even more than Biden's vacancy scares them. It's something to watch. It's really something. Uh, Speaking of presidential politics, Hillary Clinton, we've talked often about the futility of abortion as a topic because people are intransigent and and understandably so there's an issue where i have my personal views but i understand both viewpoints i understand that uh if if somebody's daughter gets pregnant even if you know not necessarily rape or incest but if they gets pregnant and they're afraid it's going to change their life i understand people saying that they would want to have some say about that. But I also absolutely understand the position of people who believe that life begins at conception. And I, I, I really respect Bill Maher. He was talking about this. We don't have the audio of him talking about abortion, do we? Nicole, from a week or two ago? Bill Maher? I could look. I don't know if we ever pulled it. But Bill Maher said, even as a you know diehard liberal, he said, well, 
but if that's what you believe, that that's when life begins, then of course I understand the people who are passionate about being pro-life. And, and, you know, I've heard comedians like Bill Maher and Louis C.K. make a very serious point that if you believe life begins at conception, you would be evil to support killing that life. And so, but nobody wants to try to see other sides and other perspectives. Hillary Clinton, some people still think that Hillary is out yapping because she still believes that she can run for president when Joe Biden's dementia gets even more advanced. And so Hillary Clinton's out there. Uh, let's see how this plays if she gets back out on the campaign trail in Heartland America. We are also in a period of time where there is a lot of pushback and much of the progress that has been, I think, taken for granted by too many people uh, is under attack, literally under attack in uh, places like Iran or Afghanistan or Ukraine, where rape is a tactic of war, or under attack by political and cultural forces in a country like our own when it comes to uh, women's uh, health care and uh, bodily autonomy. Oh, isn't that sweet? So for the people who are pro-life, you know, as I said, I try to see the, the perspective of pro-choice people. I really do. But according to Hillary people, people who are pro-life are equivalent to the Taliban. I mean, Hillary Clinton is an evil human being. There's no other way to characterize her. And everything, it's not because of this one soundbite. Everything in her life has made it clear that she's an evil human being. But when you're comparing people who have sincere, faithful, uh, faith-based convictions about something like the abortion topic, to say that they're comparable to the Taliban, it's just... This is this is pure evil, right? Under attack in uh, places like Iran or Afghanistan or Ukraine, where rape is a tactic of war, or under attack by political and cultural forces in a country like our own when it comes to uh, women's uh, health care and uh, bodily autonomy. Exactly like the Taliban, if you are pro-life. <laughs> That's a bad human being there. Uh, how about this? So many liberals are coming around to my point of view on things. Don Lemon was on a panel, and he was trying to explain why men make more money playing professional sports than women. Oh, man, this didn't go over well. If there is more interest in a men's sport, the business people, the people who make money off of sports, We'll put that on television because we live in a capitalist society. And if people are interested in that, then there would be more attention and more money would be paid. So it's about the money. But here's the thing, and this is the point that I would... I'll I'll play this later in the 2 o'clock hour, too. But he said, yeah, if you get higher television ratings, you make more money, which is true. But, uh, man, people don't want to hear that. Truth is not... Much of a factor for an awful lot of people these days. And that is your Fastest 15. This has been the Fastest 15 Minutes in the News. Fast, 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 fast. Dory's Fastest 15. Even the 15 minutes will give you the world. 
Speaking of the Clintons, Dick Morris was a campaign advisor to Bill Clinton. He was also an advisor to Donald Trump. So he's been on both sides of the aisle. And uh, we had a nice conversation a couple of months ago before the election. So uh, we thought we'd hook up with him again, see what he sees coming in 24. Dick Morris joins us. That is coming up right after we check the news here on the Dory Monson Show. Before the election, I spoke with Dick Morris, a strategist for both Bill Clinton and Donald Trump, and he was making some predictions about the election. But as I read his book, I saw just how prescient he was about the role of the Secretary of State's office around the country. And we certainly saw how that played out here in Washington. Dick Morris once again joins us here on the Dory Monson Show. Dick, always good to talk to you. Well, thank you. You know, um, my thinking on that has evolved. Uh, I was uh, very focused after the 2020 election and after the first few days after this one on the idea of democratic fraud through the Secretary of State offices that control the election machine. Right. You and I talked about that. But as I've been thinking about it and going through the returns, I think there's a deeper and more basic problem, which is our fault, not the Democrats' fault, which is that the Democrats in 2020 completely changed the method of voting in America. And because of the fraud that clearly accompanied some of that, Republicans have not adopted those methods of winning elections. I don't mean cheating. I mean within the foul lines, fair right. legal procedures. But, for example, the Democrats have come to stress early voting. And uh, in Pennsylvania, for example, when Oz was facing Fetterman, uh, the Republican Oz had only 100,000 early votes, whereas Fetterman had 700,000. So on election day, before the first vote was counted, Fetterman was 600,000 votes ahead. Right. And it's very hard to make that up. And all over the country, Republicans did not come out to vote in early voting. They were like theologically opposed to it and worried that they would lose, that the votes would be lost. And the same thing with voting by mail. It's perfectly true that the drop boxes were, were fraudulent and that people's votes were lost if they were for Trump or for the Republicans. But there is no history of mail-in votings being lost or being mishandled. Right. And uh, Republicans insisted on not voting by mail, whereas the Democrats did vote by mail. And uh, th that created these huge margins that the Democrats had going into the election, so let me, which the Republicans could not catch up with. Let me make sure I understand. So you're not alleging any fraud. You're saying that the Democrats no. have helped craft a new set of rules, and they are playing by that new set of rules brilliantly, and the Republicans haven't come close to catching up to this new set of rules. You're exactly right. Uh, any pizza delivery boy will tell you that home delivery does better than eating out. 
<laughs> but the Republicans have insisted that their voters wait in the snow or cold or rain or whatever for hours on end to vote while the Democrats sit at home and comfortably right. vote by mail. So, and there's a concomitant to that, though, which is the other half of the Democratic strategy. Knowing that all the Republicans are going to vote on Election Day and knowing that they have pocketed a large number of their own votes before Election Day, they let the inevitable consequences of everybody trying to vote at once create huge lines on Election Day, which they sometimes make worse by have running right. out of ink or the or the printer jamming. Uh, which may be legit or may not be. But the point is that a lot of voters just turn around and went home. In Arizona, for example, there were five, there were um, 5,000 voters who uh, signed in to vote on Election Day and didn't vote because they took one look at the lines and they said, I'll have half an hour to wait, but I'm not going to wait three hours right. to vote. And I think that the, the Democrats manipulated that system and the Republicans just didn't catch on. I agree with you on that. Let me tell you why I brought up the Secretary of State thing at the beginning, though, because of what happened in our state and on my radio show. Kim Wyman was the only Republican statewide elected official on the entire West Coast, Washington, Oregon, California. She's the only Republican. She's our Secretary of State. The Biden administration hired her away shortly after she was reelected in 2020. And then Jay Inslee got to appoint a Democrat. He was opposed by a Republican and an Independent. And in a bit of kabuki theater, the chair of the Democratic Party in our state, she asked if she could come on my radio show. She's never come on my radio show, Dick. But she came on to, to talk about how horrible this Independent candidate is and it was because she wanted my listeners to vote for this independent candidate, take away votes from the Republican, wow. get uh, the Democrat wow. to win. And it worked. The difference between the Democrat and the Republican for Secretary of State was about the number of votes the independent got. I called her out oh on God. it. And then she canceled all of her subsequent interviews because I called her out on her theater. But yeah. it's it's wow. clear that the Democrats wow, are really focusing on getting the Secretary of State's in their control. Yeah, that's right. Well, you know, you know that famous quote by Stalin. Oh, yeah. It doesn't matter who casts the votes. It matters who counts the votes. And Secretary of State does that. But in my book, The Return, Trump's Big 2024 Comeback, I say that the Democrats created these new rules, absentee voting, mail-in voting, uh, early voting, and ballot harvesting. Uh, which in many states in many ways is legal. Uh, in most cases, you have to include a social security number, so right. it minimizes fraud. But uh, but the Republicans won't do it. Uh, the Republicans are so burned by 2020. Uh, it's like the old Mark Twain story, a cat who sits down on a hot stove will never sit down on a hot stove again, but he won't sit on a cold stove either. Right, right. <laughs> And I think that the uh, that that the Republican Party has got to learn how to vote. They have to learn that the, the rules of voting have changed. And by the way, in the meantime, the voter turnout rose from uh, twenty twelve to twenty twenty uh, by about twenty five percent. So it's much more crowded. There are many more people online, right. and unless you vote early, you're going to be subject to these weights. And the Democrats are using lines at the polls 
as a form of voter suppression. Agreed. Uh, not illegally. Agreed. But legally. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you know, here in Washington, we're an all-mail-in state, so that's not a factor here. We're talking with right, Dick, Dick right. Morris. His book is The Return, uh, number one Amazon bestseller. So last time I talked, you said that uh, Trump was a fait accompli to be the nominee if he chooses to run again. He, Since you and I talked, he has announced that he is running. I've always liked Trump as a president, Dick. I, I don't understand who he is surrounded with when he can sit down with such a clear uh, white supremacist when he did that with Kanye West last week. That, yeah. how, how, does, how do things that stupid happen to somebody who wants to yeah, run because, for president look, again? Look, I, had, I, met with, I met with Trump that night. Uh, two hours after his dinner was over. And I met with him in Mar-a-Lago. I've been doing that a lot. And I showed up with two friends of mine, one of whom Trump knew, the other of whom Trump didn't know, completely non-political people. And uh, the the first guy was there to do some renovation on the murals at Mar-a-Lago. And uh, he was vetted by Secret Service with his driver's license and stuff to make sure that he wasn't going to kill anybody. But they didn't know his positions. They didn't know if he'd been on social media. He could have been a kook for all they knew. And the standards for vetting people to come into the White House are very strict. The staff gets into it. They check everything they've ever posted, everything they've ever written or said. And if they're controversial, the staff alerts the president, who then can cancel the meeting. Uh, in Mar-a-Lago, it's a private home. It's a totally different kind of thing. Right, but isn't that a critical error if he doesn't still have staffers who do yeah, that well, sort of vetting before right. he sits down with anybody? It is. It's a stupid mistake, and he admits that it was a stupid mistake, and they're changing it now. But look, this guy who raised per capita income for blacks to all-time highs, increased black employment, decreased black unemployment, and set up and moved the capital to Jerusalem, the embassy to Jerusalem in Israel, and orchestrated the, the Abraham Accords that basically created a stable environment for Israel in the Middle East, somehow is now accused of being white supremacist and anti-Semitic. Yeah. And uh, it's it's ridiculous. Uh, the guy was president for four years. Look at that record. Not who we happened to have dinner with at Mar-a-Lago. He never had no idea who this guy I was. Understood. But perception is reality. And if it, if enemies can exploit a perception, they're they're going to yeah, do that every time. Yeah. Hey, of, so of course. So he'll bet people more closely. But you know, come on. It's in terms of his record and what he's done. Uh, the, we, that shouldn't be important. So do you still think that Donald Trump is a much stronger candidate than Ron DeSantis? Yeah, I think, like I said before, I think he has a lock on the nomination. I don't think DeSantis is going to oppose him. Uh, the last Emerson poll, uh, the last poll of Republican primary voters had Trump at 55 and DeSantis at 25. And uh, again, in a field of 11 candidates, the others got single digits. Uh, and uh, you look at his performance in winning all of the Republican primaries, uh, and he clearly is going to be the Republican nominee, in my view. And I think if you look at the economy, you look at how uh, the Fed is continuing to raise interest rates at a slightly slower pace, half a point instead of three quarters of a point a month but still raising them significantly. Right. You're headed toward a huge recession. You're headed toward major unemployment, huge layoffs. 
And in that environment, I cannot imagine a Democratic president getting reelected or the party getting elected. And, and real quick, but, it, it's, well, not, it's not going to be Biden again, is it? It, it could be. But mm. to have time for one other point, okay. the, uh, I did some work the other day and I checked it out. And 36% of the American people are immune to inflation. They have cost of living adjustments in their checks and their benefits, Social Security, welfare, veterans, or in their private employment agreements. So the Democrats knew that. And their strategy on inflation is to actually encourage it and then tell their own voters, get yourself into one of my safe harbors. And that way it won't affect you. And in the meantime, it'll affect everybody else. So I can go around spending as much as I want, debase the currency as much as I want to, and don't worry about it because you're sheltered. And yep. that's the strategy, I think, that they've been following. Oh, I absolutely. I mean, I've read that in your book, and I've been saying that for a long time. The more people you make solely dependent on government, the more people you can solely control. And uh, that clearly is a strategy. Well, Dick, it's always yeah, great talking with you. I appreciate your we'll insights. Tell people about the book because Christmas is coming up. The book is The Return. It is available at Amazon and every major bookseller. And it's in a bright red cover so you don't have to wrap it. <laughs> okay, very <laughs> clever slap, of you. Just slap a bow on it. There you go. <laughs> All right. I always appreciate your insights, Dick. We'll stay in touch. Thank you. All right. Uh, Presidential consultant to both uh, Bill Clinton and Donald Trump. Dick Morris joining us. Okay, your thoughts on what you just heard. 888-97.3. Cairo's the text line. 888-97.3-5476. Lots more straight ahead here on the Dory Monson Show. about just how skewed perspectives are. State of Washington is talking about giving out $4,000 baby bonds. Every baby born under Medicaid would get $4,000, and they say, well, then when they turn 18, they could use it for housing or something like that. Horrible message. Horrible message. Tell kids at the youngest age possible, and I've had some pushback. People said, wait a second. So people who are poor, your answer is just to work more and put some away? You can work two jobs. You can work when you're going to high school. You can work while you're going to college. You can work two jobs while you're going to high school and college. <laughs> it's just, I can't believe that this is a message that infuriates people so much. And it, because it's just normal to me. I had a weekday job when I was in high school. I had a weekend job when I was in high school. And, and that way I was able to you know, get my first car when I turned 16, put gas in it, and do stuff uh, once in a while with friends. But I was working too much to do a lot of stuff with friends, but that's okay. Everything's worked out fine in the long run. But there are people who are saying, so that's your solution. People who are poor, they just work harder, huh? Well, yeah. That is, that is my proposed solution, and it just seems to be an infuriating solution to a lot of people. Uh, but, you know, the things we're teaching kids now, kids nowadays, uh, it's turning into some craziness on college campuses. This is from campusreform.org. 
uh, where at some universities, University of California system, uh, students are now demanding free laundry. They say that it is a right that all students should have for free laundry. Because right now, according to the university website, the cost of laundry is $1.75 for a wash and $1.50 per dry. But if you have a student card, you can discount it to a buck fifty and a buck ten for a wash and dry. But the uh, I said California, the University of Cincinnati, you, the other UC. But the Young Democratic Socialists of America chapter at the University of Cincinnati, they hosted an event at the school's Student for Justice in Palestine uh, <laughs> club to fight for free laundry services. For all full and part-time university students. Uh, An announcement on their Instagram page said, and I quote, Free laundry is a right that all students have. And we're trying to secure it for all students at UC. You know what? You go flip burgers for just one hour. That'll pay for a load. Said you're the ones who are trying to hand us a load. Okay, we're gonna take a quick time out. We're gonna check the news for you here at the top of the hour. Again, I'm told that John Curley is gonna drop by for a Friday visit. We'll see if that happens next here on the Dory Monson Show.